A written transcript of this episode is provided by Starburst. For more information, you can see the show notes. Welcome to Data Mesh Radio with your host, Scott Hurlman, sponsored by Starburst. This is Adrian Estala, VP and Field CDO at Starburst and host of Data Mesh TV. Starburst is the leading contributor to Trino, the open source project, and the Data Mesh for Dummies book that I co-wrote with Colleen Tarto and Andy Mott. To claim your free book, head over to starburst.io. Data Mesh Radio is provided as a free community resource by Data Mesh Understanding. It is produced and hosted by me, Scott Hurlman. I started this podcast as a place for practitioners to get useful information about Data Mesh, and we're at over 200 episodes. I've now left Data Stacks, you know, thanks for all their help in founding things, but I've left to start Data Mesh Understanding, which is also helping practitioners to get to the information needed to do Data Mesh well. We have free implementer introduction and roundtable programs, in addition to the more advanced yet affordable offerings. So please do get in touch if you're looking for more information on how to do, how to approach Data Mesh. Just check datameshunderstanding.com for more info. There's also a helpful organization of past Data Mesh radio episodes there if you want to dig into specific topics rather than digging through 200 different episodes. So with that, let's hit the funky intro music and listen to what you'll hear about in this interview episode. Bottom line up front, what are you going to hear about and learn about in today's episode? In this episode, I interviewed Ala Hale, a data product manager at Ecolab. To be clear, she was only representing her own views rather than anything on behalf of the company. She is hiring a data product manager in Barcelona as well, so you can see the show notes for more detail on that. So some key takeaways and thoughts from Ala's point of view. Number one, the most useful question in your quiver as a data producer is, what would having this unlock for you? It's not about pushing back. It's, it's about skipping to collaborative negotiation. How can you work together to unlock business value? Number two, it's important to remember this when there is a data request. They are coming to you because they need your help, as Allah said. Act accordingly with empathy and patience. Number three, you need to really consider your data user experience or, or docs, your DUX, for your data products. How can you quickly get people past figuring out, quote unquote, what the product is to leveraging the data product to drive value? You want users to enjoy using your data product in general. Number four, user stated requirements often do not match actual user needs. To maximize the return on your data work, look to exchange context to find the needs instead of just taking requirements at face value, and do so with patience and empathy. Number five, no prototype, no, no meeting, which is something that Allah had said. It's about having something ta tangible, even if that is simply a process map on a post-it note for people to react to in a meeting. 
Otherwise, what will the actual conversation in the meeting be about? How do you prevent the meeting from being a waste of time unless there's a specific topic to address? Number six, we need to take lots of learnings and practices from the tangible goods product management space when thinking about data products. We have users who have needs. How can we best serve those needs and drive value through doing that? It's always about serving the user's needs. Another product management learning, how can we do fast prototyping? Prototypes have an actual cost, even in data and software. What gets us to value quickly? How can we capture value early as we iterate towards, you know, kind of data product quality? How can we start to grab that value as soon as possible? Number eight, how can we avoid the data product manager from having to do literal sales and marketing of their data product internally to drive usage? How can the organization make internal communication around data products easier? Number nine, you should never develop a new data product without a very specific use case. Kind of my note on this, this is a common question in data mesh conversations or, or should you have this policy? It's about 75-25 split on only building to specific use case versus not from conversations thus far. Wrapping up number 10, it's crucial to understand the data doesn't make the decision, people do. Okay, enough of just me. Let's hear from our awesome guest in this interview episode. Okay, very, very excited for today's episode. I've got Ala Hale here, who is a data product manager at Ecolab. Um, to be clear, though, she is only representing her own views and not anything specific to the company. But I'm really excited about this conversation because Ala has come from a um, kind of different background from a lot of, of the, the people that we've had on of coming from the actual physical product space, right? From product management of physical products. And so there is a real tangible cost. There is kind of a spoilage cost if, of a lot of these things when things degrade and things like that. I think we need to think a lot about how all that stuff interacts and, and how we can actually uh, really apply actual product thinking, not just software product thinking, actual product thinking to how we do data mesh and data products. And we're going to talk about kind of some some really good rules of thumb that that Allah has of um, no prototype, no meeting, and the the conversation we've talked about these conversation starters that are not yes or no or what do you want, and so she's got kind of this thing of of what would having this unlock for you, and I think that's such a good opener for creating open-ended and high context exchanges. So we're going to go through a whole lot of different things. I'm, I'm excited about this because I think that uh, her view of, of the world and, and her experience is really, really applicable for people that are, because so many of these, these uh, product skills 
should be coming from outside software products. So uh, kind of ranted a little bit too much about that, but this is super, <laughs> I think, crucial for people trying to do data mesh. So that, Allah, if you don't mind, if you could give people uh, a little bit of background on yourself and kind of your experience, and then we can jump into the conversation at hand. Awesome. Thanks so much, Scott, for the introduction. It's always interesting to hear what people say about that. So yeah, you know, I, I, like Scott said, I'm a chemical engineer. I got my degree in chemical engineering and I have a product background. I, you know, worked for many years uh, developing chemical products, physical products that will go out the door, everything from uh, paints that you put on your wall to photorefractive polymers that you can uh, make maps on that that fade over time, you know, with very little energy to um, semiconductor packages. So my product experience is all over the board. And at some point uh, in my new product development career, I said, hey, this data analysis that I'm doing is pretty interesting. I want to learn a little bit more. Um, so I went and got a degree in, in data science and transitioned over to the, the data space. Um, and Scott, it's interesting, you know, my first role uh, in the data space, I was a data scientist for a data product. And I thought, what the hell am I doing here? How am I even remotely qualified for this? You know, I just out of my degree and I thought, who hired me for this? Um, and then I realized that the two spaces are really similar. You still have a user or a customer, someone who has needs that you need to uncover. They'll come to you with all sorts of requirements that nine times out of 10 are not the thing that you need to build. Uh, and you, as the product developer, are responsible for uncovering those needs and really building to them. Uh, and so I realized the two spaces weren't any different and, and, and the rest has been really history. So I, Thank you for the intro, and I think it goes, you know, I've seen it play out that way. I think that um, high context exchange and learning how to extract the context out of somebody of what what are your needs versus what did you write down as your requirements is such a skill. <laughs> so, um, and, and how do you keep it from, you know, making them uh, feel like they don't know what they're talking about, but you're like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And can you explain what this is? And yeah, it's so it's so crucial. But so, I think a, a good place to start would be that physical product background of what were the the things that you when you started to dig into kind of the data product space that people were missing from the context of the physical space. Right? We talked about real tangible costs and like that there's the cost to store and produce and that there's degradation and all of that, that it, it kind of like how, what, what have you learned from that experience that when you're talking with people in the software space that you think that most of them are missing without throwing anybody under the bus or anything like that. But what are the, the blind spots that you think a lot of people might have or, or places to make sure that you're, you're checking the corners that you really should check? Yeah. It's a good question. Uh, you know, for, for me, it's not so much about the software people or the data people that are missing the thing, but sometimes as a user or a customer coming um, to a data person, it feels really easy for them to just do the thing for you. Just just mock it up. I mean, put the data here. You already have the data, right? It's easy. 
well, what's the cost that you have to get the data from point A to point B? Um, whereas with a real physical product, the customer understands that, okay, we've got to source the chemical, we've got to do the experiments, we've got to mix these two things together. Maybe we've got to wait for the reaction to happen until the thing cures, or, you know, maybe we need to refine our designs a little bit. And um, I think that that expectation that, you know, well, data's quick, it's on a computer, like, why can't you just put it together for me has been missing in a lot of exchanges. Um, and sometimes being the person in the room to say, here's the prototype I'm going to deliver, or here's the, the mock-up or the wireframe that I'm going to deliver, because here's the question that we're probing, um, has been really helpful for the customer or the user. Um, that's been really the biggest thing of, for me. The other piece that I think might be worth mentioning, right, is, is in the physical product space, every prototype does have a cost. You're going to build the thing, you're going to order the materials, you're going to put it together, and then you're going to test it. Well, how high fidelity does that prototype really need to be to answer the question um, that you need to answer? And so um, it's been really about forcing a clear understanding of what question is it that we're trying to answer when we put two data fields together? You know, are these going to answer the question, drive the action that we're looking to drive or not? And I think that I'm I'm hearing from a couple of people that are talking about getting to fast incremental value with kind of the lower quality data as you move towards the higher quality. So you might actually be able with that prototype to drive some value, you know, that you can get to a prototype in uh, a week, but that if you, that as long as people are actually the consumers have the realistic expectation of this is not production worthy. Like we're, we're driving to the initial insight and then we're elevating this to product. I think both of those aspects are really um, that expectation setting is so crucial. And it's, it's exactly what you said of, what do you mean? You've already got the data. It's just moving bits versus like, no, we, we actually have to do all of these aspects of it to ensure that it's the right bits and that it's got the right controls in place and that we've got it so that it's not just um, a one-time production, right? You think about setting up a physical production line, right? It's, it's not that you just go, okay, we're just going to mix all these chemicals together once. It's like, do we want to continue to be able to do this? We need to set up that, that kind of data production line aspect of it. I think that's so, and, and I really like that expectation setting. I don't think anybody's been super explicit about that. Um, do you have um, any, uh, any advice on, uh, I know a lot of people when they do come in and they say, here are my expectations, here are my requirements, that if there's pushback, there are people that are like, why are you pushing back? So how have you turned that from that um, that kind of combative negotiation to collaborative negotiation? How have you made yeah. it so that that's actually a possible thing? Uh, a good setup. It, it's really hard when someone comes to you and says, hey, I need you to do this thing for me. And you say, why? That's dumb, right? That, that's going to put anyone back on their heels. Or even if you just ask them why, they're suddenly in the defensive. 
Um, so one of the phrases that I've really leaned into, and it was courtesy of uh, actually a mentor in my first role out of college, is what would having that unlock for you? Or what would having that feature unlock for you? And so that positions you into a place where you're no longer asking them why they need this stupid requirement that they came to you with, but rather now you're talking with them collaboratively. You're trying to understand, you're peeling back the onion, understanding what is it that they're going to be able to do with the information you're providing them or the insight that the data product's going to be providing what actions are they going to be able to take? And you can start spinning your wheels and thinking about is the requirement that they gave me the best one, or maybe there's something better, a better way to approach this. And you can start working collaboratively to come to a solution that, that meets the need that they have rather than the requirement that they asked you for. Yeah. And I think that the art of the possible, instead of like, can I just push back so I don't have to do as much work versus hey, you're trying to do this. You know what could actually be really helpful is if we added this other data that that we control or this other team's got this data that I think let's get to serving your use case now, but like let's start to talk with that team as well to bring that into your use case because I think it'll add this other um, value and, and this other perspective on it that could drive incremental value. I think exactly what you're talking about instead of um, I want you can't have versus like, what are we actually trying to achieve with this? I, I, I even talk about this with data mesh of so much of the conversation of data mesh is that people make the assumption that they understand what we're trying to do with something like data mesh. And it's like, okay, well, we're trying to make it so we can be scalable and agile with data. Well, what is that actually, what would it having that unlock for you with your organization? If you had that, What's the incremental value from being scalable and, and having that agility with, with your data? So I, I really like that. And, and um, when you are having that, like, have you found that it's it's 90% of people like kind of switch the, the conversation to being that collaborative or is it like 50% and you've got to kind of continue to nudge them or like how... How often is this, is this the, the the golden ticket, just so we're setting expectations, realistic expectations for listeners as well that are trying to yeah. do this? Honestly, if you use the right phrasing, it's every time. I've not had a single person look at me and say, why are you asking me that? Right? They understand that you want to help them solve something. They're coming to you because they're not a data expert. They're coming to you because they need your help, not just because you hold the keys to the data that they need, right? Um, and so working collaboratively with people is, is super important. I, I do have to be um, explicit here that the phrasing is important. You know, in the Six Sigma methodology, they teach the five whys, for example, right? You ask, why did this happen? Why? And then once you get that answer, you find the next why. And that gets to the root cause. And it's a, a good way to find out needs as well. But the question of asking why puts people on the defensive. What do you mean why? I'm an expert in my field. What are you asking me why? I know why. You don't need to know why, right? But when you ask them, what does this unlock for you? What would having this unlock for you? Suddenly they're teaching. They're sharing their expertise with you. You've put them in a position where they can educate you 
so that you might deliver the best possible solution for them. And that's a win-win. Yeah, you're, you're getting them to lean in to explaining to you like, oh, okay, I, I, I get that you're the expert on what we're trying to do here. I'm, I'm going to help you to achieve your results. But like, tell me about what, what the actual results are going to be. I want to get excited about your results. I, I like that. Um, and uh, as well, though, you, you do have this, um, this um, philosophy or this kind of policy of no prototype, no meaning, right? Like, is, is that that you're putting requirements on somebody to come to the meeting or, or what? Like, could you tell me about like, how that's evolved or, or what that really means? Because, you know, some people might say, well, you're making people jump over a hurdle or, or whatever. But like, what, what does it mean for uh, uh, an actual like, uh, value add meeting instead of just people that are talking at each other instead of exchanging context? And what, how does it move the ball forward? Yeah. And I, I want to be super clear that I did not invent this phrase and I might be using it completely inappropriately um, based on the person who invented it. But the way that I use it is, you know, if you're going to have a conversation, it needs to be a conversation about something. Uh, and, and that something should be something that you can react to. So um, I do tell myself, I tell my team, no prototype, no meeting. I don't want to show up to a room and have nothing concrete to talk about. You know, I don't want to show up to a meeting where people have said, and we want to talk about this process. Okay, well, a prototype there can be something as simple as a process map that now we can go and we can point to and we can talk about and move arrows around, move inputs and outputs around and really understand, you know, what is it that we're trying to solve? Or if we've got um, a data product, a prototype can be a sample data set, five rows, one row um, that we're looking at and understanding, is this the right data? Is it going to really unlock um, what we hope that it will unlock or is it not? Yeah. And well, and having that realistic conversation with, with the folks. Um, so are you having that with your internal team or external people? Because, I mean, that could be interpreted as, um, somebody coming to you with their request that they have to have a prototype before they come to you with the request. Is this more about trying to move the ball forward or is it is it kind of a, a further iteration on no agenda, no meeting? It's like, hey, like we're actually trying to accomplish something with technology and data and, and that we need to move it forward. So we need to have something framed out before we would even think about is this the right approach and what are we trying to achieve? Or, or I'm just trying to figure out like who, who would you put that requirement on um, and, and how does it usually manifest? Yeah. I, I don't want your listeners to think that I'm like, you know, super strict about this one, but it, you think about the typical update meeting that you have where you come and you say, okay, yeah, we did this, we did that. Okay. And everyone walks away and nothing's changed. Right. What if instead of that update meeting, you came to it with a prototype and you said, OK, we did this, we did that. Here's our result. And now you can suddenly start peeling away and moving columns around, moving data around, understanding, like, is this getting us closer to the requirement that we set in the beginning or is it not? Um, and when you have that that concrete prototype, I used to say physical prototype, but when you have that concrete prototype in front of you, you've got something to react to. 
you've got a way to elicit a reaction from the user. You've got a way for you to understand what it is that they're reacting to. Um, and you can really start making iterations and changes to your data product much more quickly. Yeah, it's, it takes it from the theoretical of what are we trying to do? What are we trying to do versus does this actually make it so that we can hit our goals? Or, or And then it, have you found that it actually helps to solidify the kind of prioritization of goals or solidify the prioritization as to when those goals are starting to be met or things like that of, okay, yes, this would be really great for stage three, but stage one, we, we really need it focused on A and B. And, and you've solved, I think, in a great way, C, but we need A and B until we can, before we can really get the value from C. Yeah, ab- absolutely. I think it, it helps folks understand what have we touched on? What have we fixed? What have we not fixed? What did we think was really critical to fix that we don't actually need to touch because the other things that we made already fulfill the requirements. And so um, I found it as a a really useful framework uh, as people are developing solutions for each other. You know, you're not developing the solution for some robot that's going to go and check the boxes. You're developing it for a person who has emotional responses to the thing you're developing. And, um, you want to be able to see it. The other thing with a prototype that's really nice is sometimes you can exaggerate what you are proposing, right? You, you don't necessarily need to have all the data there. You can scratch it on a post-it note and see how people feel about it. You know, I can't count the number of times I've walked into a meeting um, with a post-it note as my prototype and I'll put it down on the table and I'll say, okay, you know, tell me, does this get you to your conclusion or not? Yeah, that's, uh, I think a lot of what you're, you're talking about, again, is focusing on the other person instead of the exact goal so that you can continue to collaborate, right? That you can continue to make progress towards your goal instead of getting into um, the back and forth, right? That you're, you're like, okay, I want to make sure that you're bought in, that you're kept in the loop and that we're moving forward together and that it's as much about <laughs> somebody else not putting in blockers as it is about you making the own progress and and that you do you do continue to extract that context right um i when you're thinking about cooking and you're thinking about like seasoning something and you put in some seasoning and then you have somebody else taste it and go is this what you're looking for or is it you know um Whenever I, I go visit my my folks for the holidays, my, my mom makes uh, uh, garlic mashed potatoes. And she's like, okay, come taste this. And she's like, is this uh, salty enough? And I'm like, no, you always need to add about 3x the amount of garlic salt because my dad has um, limited uh, smell and taste capabilities. And I like it real salty and real garlicky. So it's always that, that kind of context. But it is like, is this, does this meet your requirements relative to before it's done, right? Before I fully baked it, especially when you think about baking, you can't really go back cooking. You can kind of change stuff up on the fly, but baking, you can't change nearly as much on the fly. So mm-hmm. like really extracting out that context as you're in process, right? Like you're, you're on a road trip with somebody, 
you 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 don't say when are you going to need a bathroom break at the start you say like are you still good are you you you've got kids you know this this thing of like we need to uh we need to be flexible and and constantly bringing in new requirements and reacting to those new new requirements cuz the external world may have changed somebody's opinions or their thoughts or their guesses may have changed so i i really like that you're i, I think this frames people well for that conversation yeah absolutely it does and 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 more than the world has changed or the requirements have changed but we might have discovered something in the process of doing this right you know you you came to me and you said you you needed this data in order to uncover something right in order to to drive an action a certain way we went and we got the data it wasn't exactly right you know and in the process, we discovered that this data set that's been sitting over here forever, we can use it to answer the question that, you know, that you have. We don't need to develop anything new for you. You can just use it, right? And we made this discovery and it's great and you're off and running. And if we hadn't brought that prototype to the meeting, then we would have never known. And by the way, prototypes can also be existing products that you've built, you know, three months ago. Yeah, that that reuse, you know, it's not just for the actual data set. It can be reuse for all sorts of things that that you've looked at historically. And Sadie Martin in her episode was talking about in data work, like uh, as as a product manager around the the data platform and and kind of the data team, that um, their work is about, uh, you know, invalidating or not, because you can't really validate a hypothesis. hypothesis, but you either invalidate it or you don't, but that you test it against it. And that's the progress. It's not the outcome was the the point, the, the outcome or the, the goal was to test the hypothesis. And so the more that you can get to testing that hypothesis quickly and well, that's the, the thing rather than trying to say, well, did we find five hypotheses that we think are, you know, not invalid, so aren't exactly valid because of the way, you know, that that works, but that we're trying to hit that and we hit five last quarter. So now we need to hit six versus, hey, we tested 20 last quarter, but we can now test 30 this quarter. And it might be that we're, we're testing things that we never would have before and that we can really like swing for the fences on a couple of things, or we can really quickly get to iterative value. So I, I think this just ties up a lot of the uh, past conversations about how to actually do this well, right? <laughs> of taking actual product management. Um, so on that kind of concept of actual product management, um, data as a product, when we were talking in, in the pre-call about this, I think one thing that I'm a little bit concerned about is people think data products are treating data as a product, right? And it's the manifestation of of it. It's an output of treating your data as a product, but it's not the end all be all. And so like, are we actually embracing the concepts of, of product management? Like what, what have you taken from external that you've applied where people have kind of been like, whoa, wait, wait, what? We can do that with, with data and software? Yeah, I think it's interesting, and and it all goes back to designing for people and developing the data for people, right? You, um, th- there's 
there's concepts between both of them where you've got this user, you really need to hone in on exactly what they need, what they're going to be using it for and design the thing for them. Um, one piece that I think is interesting is, you know, um, product sort of uh, roadmaps and, and their their plans, how we think about ending their lifespans, right? Um, sorry, the word's falling out of my head. I just came back from a two-week road trip with two little kids. So I uh, have to be honest here, right? But we have to think about how, as the product exists and starts to get developed and then eventually becomes no longer relevant, what do we do with it? Um, th that's been a really interesting piece for me, right? Uh, that combines the both the physical products in the past where I can't necessarily make a portfolio of a million different things, even though I've worked on them in the past. At some point, I have to sunset it and I have to stop providing that product. Same thing with data. I can't support everything I've ever created. At some point, it has to go away. Um, if only just because I can't support it or because it's going to confuse the users in, you know, going forward. Or it doesn't have the return on investment. It might still have value to the user, but the cost of maintaining it, especially if there's upstream degradation, right? Like, oh, we're we're using this by buying external data, and the cost of that data is three x, and the quality is kind of gone down, and the value of this has gone down. Should we still keep doing this? Like, and and what about thinking about like features of of uh, a product, right? Um, when you think about um, pruning within a data product, like have you have you found that those conversations with end users goes well because people have kind of locked into um, the cost of change in data has been so high that we haven't tried to be kind of agile around data and have that like changeability, that malleability. So users are kind of you know unless something has broken upstream, why ever would you change what I've got? Or why, why would you prune that if I'm still getting value from it? Have you, have you found those conversations happening yet? Or are you kind of still early enough that you're more focused on incremental new production and you haven't started to have to have the pruning conversation? No, that you should start the pruning conversation right away. Uh, but, but I, I had one person once tell me something a little bit uh, shocking and, and I loved it. You know, he, he was developing, and this is not a data product, or maybe it's a data product, but um, he was developing a report for folks and sending it out every week. And at some point he said, I don't know if anyone's reading this or using it or is it relevant anymore? So he stopped sending it out for two weeks, you know, and didn't get any feedback back. And so he knew it was time to prune that particular thing, no longer use it. And I have to be honest that sometimes and I don't know how many of your listeners that'll this will apply to or they'll be able to to use this strategy, but sometimes you can just turn it off and see if anyone screams, right? Like just break it and see if anyone was still using it, um, especially if you've developed something new or better that's replacing it. Um, sometimes that, that that is a viable strategy. I won't say it's a viable strategy always, right? Like you've got all sorts of places where people are using things and you don't want to break it for them and you have to have that conversation first. But sometimes just turning it off and seeing what happens is, is an interesting way to go. Yeah. If, if you're at the power company, I don't recommend just turning no. off the electricity and see if anybody's great. But yes, like I'm probably using that. Uh, so, but, and, and I think 
where we're trying to head with our tooling is to actually be able to, like so much of what we've done with our work around data in the past is kind of pushing it out and it goes into the void, right? And now we can start to say, hey, we see that you are consuming from this on a weekly basis. One, we're producing it every day and you're you're now the only consumer left. So is it all right if we slip or if we change our SLA to on a weekly production or are you still using this? Is this just an automated process that's consuming from this and you're still not using it? Or, you know, can we um, move you over uh, like to a new version? And, and as somebody who's been work, who's worked in like the chemical space where you've brought out new actual like replacement things that it's like, hey, this polymer or this uh, reflective coating or whatever is far better like, we know that you've been using this thing. Like, how have you had that conversation to do that kind of graceful versioning? Because we haven't had those conversations well in data. It's again, you're making some, you're making a change. You're breaking something for me, right? You're breaking everything. And, and the only changes that should happen are when something unexpectedly broke. So like, how do you have those conversations? Yeah, I think the difference between the chemical space and the data space is in the chemical space, you've got, you know, the R&D developer who's working and developing these formulas, who works with the marketer that, you know, puts them into the hands of the salesperson. And then the salesperson has to go out to his account and say, or her account and say, hey, um, we've got this brand new shiny thing that you can go use. And it's better than the last one, right? And it's the salesperson's job to convince um, the customer to switch over. Um, they they don't have a choice, right? They don't really have a choice of continuing to use the old one. They have to switch over. Um, but the salesperson has to create that conversation and that negotiation to make it happen. Um, and I think we don't have that other person in the data space always. Sometimes the person who's creating the data product has to be, you know, the R&D formulator and has to be the marketer and has to be the salesperson all at the same time. But the concepts are the same. You you know, you've got to develop a, a story or a reason why you're switching over um, and and convince the, the user or the person consuming the data that, that it's going to be better to go over to the new the new thing that you've got. Um, and, and it goes back to understanding what does having this data unlock for them? If you've got that from the beginning, that conversation is so much easier to have. And, and I think people might be a little bit worried of data people saying, oh, now I have to develop marketing and sales skills which I think when you're talking internal versus external, marketing and sales aren't the same thing that people really think about. But how do you think about that that kind of aspect of, of this? And how much do you think, like, I mean, you're, you're, you're experiencing some, some of these things uh, around data. Are you, do you think we need to go more to proactive of, people marketing, I have this information in my domain, um, who would want this and why, or are we only waiting on users to come to us? Or how does that, that really work? Like, how would you recommend people to start to develop those skills so that we can have that kind of bi-directional unlocking conversation of, I've got this, what could it unlock for you instead of you're coming to me and asking, like, I, I, 
I don't want to lead the the conversation and give you an answer to say that you should say that we need to do X or Y or Z, but like, how have you had those conversations with data people that are so used to like, I, I just produce the data and that's it, right? Like whoever uses it, uses it. And that's good enough. Like, how have you had that to get them to, to think in a new mode? Yeah, it's such a good question. And to be honest, I think it has to go both ways right? You're always going to have requirements for which the data doesn't exist yet. And you're going to have to go talk to the data people and, and help them understand why you need that data, right? And on the flip side, you're always going to have data sets that you developed for somebody yesterday, you just made an enhancement to it, and you've got to figure out how do you sell that. Um, and there have to be channels within an organization to do that, whether it's, you know, documentation in a data catalog or it's, you know, a Slack channel where you, you talk about it or word of mouth. But these these channels have to exist. People need to be able to know that there's new new data coming out or better data or this data set, you know, is sitting here ready for the using. Um, and they need to understand where it comes from, the context, you know, all these good things that people would need to understand in order to know, is this the thing that I need or is it not the thing that I need? Yeah, I think um, Nav uh, out of Norway had a, a really interesting aspect on this, which is cake-driven development, which literally anytime somebody puts a new data product onto their mesh, they ship the people a cake. The, the developers for it, they give them an actual literal cake. And then Love the team it. poses with it and puts pictures in the Slack. And then it generates the conversation around like, hey, we're, this is us eating our cake and here's our data product, right? And have you found good avenues for going out and proactively requesting this information? Because what, what I've seen thus far from a lot of the conversations is there's less consumption than expected from the companies that are creating data products without driving to a specific use case. And, and what, what they do is they, the ones that, that are driving to a specific use case are typically saying, okay, I've got somebody who's requesting this information. I'm going to create a data product to specifically serve that and then expand on it a, a, you know, more and more as additional users come to me and, and find that. But the companies that are just saying, I've got this information about the domain, I'm going to go share it, they're not seeing the, the expected consumption. Is that because they're probably not doing the marketing? I mean, I'm asking you to speculate, but do you think that that's because they're not doing the marketing or in the sales aspects of it? Do you think it's that they're not structuring it in the way that people really want? Or, or like, I'm just trying to figure out what you've learned thus far from these conversations, because you're, you're talking about going both ways. And that's, that's, I think, crucial. But it's weird that we're seeing that that pattern of the people who are producing just aren't seeing that much consumption if they're just producing kind of into the void. Yeah. I don't know that it's weird. I think it's expected, right? You think about the number of data sets you could produce. It's probably infinite. Yeah. And, and I, I think that for any data product that you're going to create, the requirement should be, and I know I'm being recorded here, so I'm on record for saying should, but I, I, I think the requirement really should be that you have at least one use case. You, you never want to be 
developing a data product where you don't you haven't identified a user a person not not just an idea of a user persona whatever no but a real person with a name and a position and a title that's going to be using that data um, and I think you really do need that before you can start developing it. The, the the comment on I think it should go both ways is once you've developed it, well, yeah, tell people about it because likely that user that you developed it for isn't the only one who's going to want it. But, you know, as you were talking to me, it made me think of um, what is that? The street lamp analogy, right, is you got a, a drunk in the park searching for his keys under a street lamp and the police officer walks up to him and says, sir, what are you doing? And he said, well, I'm searching for my keys. I lost them over there in the park. And so the police officer scratches and he says, well, why are you searching under this lamp? And he goes, well, because there's light here, right? And it, yeah, you'll get a person once in a while who comes and finds your data set under the street lamp and will search for something there. But really, most people are going to be wandering around in the forest trying to find their keys. And you want to find those people and put a street lamp there so that they can find their keys. Right. So anyway, I don't know if it's a good analogy or not, but it's one that I think of. No, I, I, I think it is, especially around data, because so much of what data has been historically has been pushing reports to people, right, and pushing insights into them and saying, here is the thing you should care about. And we're trying to create a, um, an environment where people can cause the things that they need to be created, but that we also give people the permission, but also the impetus, like the, the push to go and find these, these other things and then give them the capabilities to find them and leverage them and understand them, which, you know, it all wraps into data literacy and, and data discoverability and, and all of that fun stuff. But I think exactly what you're talking about of like almost, I think if we were to pop to a higher level que question of all of this is, have you found something that makes it so that people can have these higher context exchanges around data? Is it that they need to understand what data can do better or that they need to come in where there needs to be some training around realistic expectations and requirements versus like needs and that like who has to do the work and what, what have you seen that actually like begets having more uh, high value, high context exchanges? Uh, it's a it's a good question. I, for me, the the personal relationships have really been the key. Understanding, you know, who who is it that's going to benefit most from the data that I've got? How can I have a conversation with them? You know, a lot of times in organizations there will be a ticketing system, right? And you'll get a ticket on your desk, and I'll say, okay, so and so needs this thing, and you go and do it, right? But how do you turn that ticket into a conversation instead of just, hey, I'm going to go execute against this ticket where the requirements are really clearly uh, spelled out? And once people get a taste of it, they they like it, right? They come to you with, a, with what they thought was a great solution. You've worked collaboratively with them to really produce something that's going to get them to the next level, whatever it is. Now they go, okay, I've got this new problem. Who am I going to go talk to? Well, I'm going to go talk to Scott because he solved it for me last time, right? And I, that's really key. Um, you know, even in this 
crazy connected digital world where we think we can discover all the data in the world in our data catalogs, it, you need to have those personal relationships. Well, as, as especially, I'm just thinking as well, the organization needs to reward those people for being the enabler. Um, but like, and, and that, that thing that you talked about as well with the, just getting a ticket, um, Andrew Jones at, at go cardless on his episode talked about mm-hmm. when there is a request or a ticket, it, it automatically creates a, uh, process flow where it goes, okay. And we're going to have a meeting to exchange the context around this, right? That you can't actually just submit a ticket. You literally have to have a meeting with that. So it, it makes it so that there's a, um, a real process around this because exactly what you're talking about. It's so, you can't exchange all of the context in the world in a ticket because there's certain things where you can't know the other person's context and how they'll take a certain aspect or, or, or whatever. I, I think, again, this circles back to so many of the episodes of just get people talking to each other, please just yeah. talk to each other. Um, so uh, another thing that we had talked about in the, the pre-call was I think something that I haven't seen much about out there in data mesh world. And, and even when pinging people, there isn't as much of a focus on this just yet, but like UX or, or data product user experience or, or ducks, which would just be data user experience, but like, you know, we've got to focus on, on, on feeding the ducks and then think about how we differentiate between the data product itself and the mesh, because we can't have every single data product be a different user experience, right? If somebody has to, to spend a couple of hours or more to learn how to interact with each individual data product, then they're not going to want to use them and they're not going to want to be able to or want to combine data across many different things. So it prevents a lot of the data science, the spelunking and asking these different questions. So can you share a little bit about what you've learned thus far about how to actually build out a user experience or what does a user experience mean when you think about you're you're a data product manager, but you're a product manager at heart, right? So user experience is part of your your product manager versus most people think of it as the data and the manager aspect. So like the product aspect is about the user experience and, and I just haven't seen anything about it. So what, what have you learned thus far? I'm not asking you to be the eternal expert thus far because we're pretty early in figuring out how to do this as an industry. (laughs) No, that's super interesting. You know, I think as with anything, People need to be able to, when, when people are using a product, right, let's be really generic here. When people are using a product, they're looking for two things. One, they're looking for it to solve whatever it is that it needs to solve for them. And two, it needs to delight them. They need to enjoy using the product. Otherwise, they're not going to go back to it, right? Like, I, I, I can, you know, clip my fingernails with something but if unless it's fun i'm not going to go use that something again that was a terrible analogy but but you get my point right like i need to have this product that's going to work for me and is going to be fun to use um and and that's been something that i've seen right is as you're developing your data products can you make it so that when people come in they don't feel stupid 
like they get grounded. They understand what they're looking at right away, you know, and, and sometimes it's a matter of naming conventions. So people understand, like, what am I sitting at? What am I looking at? Like you mentioned, sometimes it's making things look consistent from product to product so that every time I come in, I'm comfortable, you know, instead of figuring out what is it that the product is, right. I can figure out what, what can I use it for? Yeah. And and that, that's been super important. I think that's a a really, it feels, it's one of those things that when somebody has said it, it almost feels like, well, yeah, duh, that's kind of obvious, but it's absolutely not right. I think this is really crucial. I think this is something people should really focus on is what some where somebody doesn't have to spend the effort on what the product is, right? Like it's just, it's something you, you literally just saying that, that like what four or five words or whatever is something that has been building in a lot of these conversations, but you've, I think hit the nail on the head so hard that, you know, it went all the way through the board, <laughs> like make it so that they can focus on using it instead of figuring it out. Right. And, and that is far easier said than done, but like Adavinta talked about this, um, you know, Xavier Gumaro Regol talked about every data product they've got two notebooks for, they've got a beginner notebook and a more advanced notebook. And so like people can just go in and start playing with the actual queries that the data product owner thinks you might want to do. So you can get a sense of what's in there and they're not saying this is the only thing you can do, but like that you, you get a, um, an ability to dip your toe in the water and not go, what, what is like, I don't even understand what file format this is in or, or how to access it. You know, it's like, Oh, you just grab it via API and it's like, okay, but like, what API and how do I do it? How do I like, what is the syntax? And oh, can is, is you know, the API able, uh, let's say I want to grab a hundred thousand records. It, am I using the API to do like pagination through and grabbing one record at a time? Like, no, that's not going to be efficient. It's going to take, you know, an hour and a half to run a, a query that I should be able to do kind of a dump from. So yeah, I think it's it's really really important to to just that framing of it of get, get people past the what the product is. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, what what am I going to do with it? What am I going to use this for? Right? What is it going to unlock for me? Yeah, it's uh, this is one of those where it's just okay. I'm 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 writing this down like four times and underlining. Uh, like, get people past what the product is, um, and then. Uh, we had also talked a, a, a lot about within data, the data doesn't make the decision. I hate data driven. Mm-hmm. I like data informed, right? Like data informed is that the data informs the decision. It informs the person to make the decision. The data doesn't make the decision that the person does. I mean, in ML, literally the data does make the decision because the person has made it so that the, the, the thing that, but you know, I, you, you and I are on the same page in this, but like, how do you get people past that? Once we're, we're in the, we're in, we're trying to become data driven. Like how, how have you not let people go too far in the wrong direction of like, Oh, the data just decides all for us. Yeah. The the analysis paralysis, right. Is what people used to say where you get stuck in these loops. Um, I, 
Oh my God, I'm going to sound like a broken record, but I go back to my favorite question of what does this unlock for you? Some people will come to me and say, hey, I need information about this. I need to be able to know like what did what did this chemical look like? What did that chemical look like? I need the data here. Or, you know, what about this process versus that process? And and we'll play a little game and I'll say, OK, well, if if you find this outcome where, you know, part A was better than part B, are you going to do something different? Or if you find the other outcome, are you, is your action going to change? And sometimes they'll describe their action. And yes, it'll be very different. And in that case, we go and do the analysis or we go and create that data for them. But in some cases, they come back and they say, no, I'm going to do the same thing no matter what. But like, you know, Bob over there wants to know these numbers. So you need them. Then we need to go talk to Bob and talk about, you know, why we don't need to do that analysis. But that's been the key for me in unlocking that is saying like, what is this going to change? What action is it going to drive? What action is it going to inform for you? And if the answer is nothing, I'm not going to change my behavior because of it, then there's no reason to do the analysis or find that data. Yeah. Um, Katie Bauer had mentioned the same thing of like, um, and, and I, I liked her uh, little pithy statement about it of what is valued is not always valuable and vice versa. Right. And so like there is, you can have that the answer to these or these metrics are valued, but they're not valuable or that they're valuable, but they're not valued or exactly what you said of if it's not going to change anything, knowing this, if it's just interesting to know, well, let's kind of do a quick and dirty thing for you to know this maybe right now. And we, we can do something that's not very clean and that's not a product and that's not, you know, whatever. And we might be able to do a quick and dirty analysis, but just so that you've got the information, because that might drive a further decision in the future. But exactly of why are we doing this now if it's not going to change anything? It's it Again, it's so much about what are you actually trying to accomplish? <laughs> like what, what would... What would having this unlock for you? It just, it keeps coming back to that over and over because it's a fundamental question of all of the, the, why are we doing this work? Is there a point to this work? You can't ask it that way because then people get defensive, but it's so crucial to think about what's the business outcome of doing this work. If there isn't a business outcome, should we do the work? Right. Absolutely. I'm right there with you. I mean, I, I remember this example early on in my career. I was trying to decide, like, should I run this experiment? Should I, you know, I don't know how to formulate this thing. And and um, my mentor at the time said, okay, well, let, let's look at it. If the outcome comes this way, what are you going to do? And I said, okay, I'm going to do this thing. And if the outcome comes that way, what are you going to do? And I said, okay, I'm going to do the same exact thing. And he said, okay, well, I guess you made your, your mind. You don't need to do this experiment, right? Go do the thing that you're planning to do. Um, and the same thing goes for data. Yeah, it's, it, I don't know if you've seen that like kind of cheesy thing about, okay, if you're stuck between do two decisions, go to flip the coin, and then in the air, you'll know which one you want to do, because you'd be disappointed if it if it came out as whatever. So do the one that you really want to do, or that you think is the most value, rather than trusting the coin, trust your own instincts, okay. your own gut for what, what you want to do with that. And then the coin doesn't matter, right? Like, exactly. Um, well, I, this has been such a, a, a great conversation. I think it's, it's again, it's summed up a lot. Uh, this is interview somewhere around uh, 90, and it's summed up 
a lot of the the kind of through points through a lot of things because it's again there's just been a lot of these almost hidden through lines and this has surfaced so many of them of again that the whole focusing so much on the why are we doing the work but in a friendly and collaborative manner uh, of that but um so we covered a lot is is there anything that we didn't cover that you wanted to to kind of touch upon or is there any way that you'd, you'd want to kind of wrap up the episode yeah, I, I think I, I'll just repeat myself one more time. But, you know, that question around what is what is this going to unlock for you? It's a really nice disarming question that gets people into a, a collaborative mode to discuss requirements that you can build against and test against. Yeah, well, and the requirements can be such a dirty word because it is just like I hand you my list versus like, OK, you want that thing that's going to add you know, that's going to 10x the cost and it's going to add three months to the development. Is that really a value? Because if it is, okay, great. But like, let's push back on it and figure out where where can we maximize the return on investment rather than just trying to maximize the total value. Because, you know, something may have a billion dollar return, but if it costs $1.5 billion to get that billion dollar return, don't do it. And so, you know, could you slim it down where it's only got a $100 million return, but it's a $5 million investment, then it's a slam dunk, it's a home run. So, Agreed. Uh, well, again, thank you so much for, for the time. I'm sure there are going to be a lot of people that would love to follow up with you. Where's the, the best place to do that? And is there anything specific that you'd like people following up about? Yeah, I, I'd love I'd love for folks to reach out on LinkedIn. You know, any of this data product space, it, it's new, it's different. You know, any examples that you see of uh, treating people like people in this space, I'd love to hear about. It. I haven't heard anybody say that, but I, I like that that we're not kind of cogs, and that it's not, and that we have the leverage of high context exchange of people to people exchange instead of that's a drag on what we're trying to do. <laughs> so uh, again, thank you so much, uh, Allah, for, for spending the time today. And, and thank you as well, everyone, for listening. Thanks so much. It's been a pleasure. I'd again like to thank my guest today, Allah Hale, who's a data product manager at Ecolab. You can find a link to her LinkedIn in the show notes as per usual. Oh, and she's hiring for a data product manager in Barcelona. You can see a link to that as well in the show notes. Thank you. Hopefully that interview episode was really useful for you. Please do consider getting in touch with guests from the show, from these episodes. Most have said they'd really love people to reach out to them. And please, as well, if you've got a minute, rate and review the podcast somewhere. It really is honestly super helpful for other people looking into kind of data podcasts to kind of get this in front of them. Data Mesh Radio is again provided as a free community resource by Data Mesh Understanding. It's produced and hosted by me, Scott Herleman. In April of 2023, I left Data Stacks, who were wonderful in getting the Data Mesh community stuff started. So give them a shout for streaming and real time AI needs. But I left to start my own industry analyst kind of information as a service firm. Our offerings are affordable and you can do them on a one off or a month to month basis. You know, read kind of Throw it on the credit card. Don't worry about like going through purchasing and things like that. The services include lots of practitioner roundtables, you know, one-on-one data mesh kind of planning or feedback sessions and tailored introductions to other data mesh practitioners that are focused around 
your topics of interest. You know, what, what are you actually running into challenges with? We also have some free programs around introductions and roundtables that people can kind of check out as well. Check the show notes or just go to datameshunderstanding.com for more info or helpful resources. As always, if you have suggestions for guests or topics, please do get in touch as well and have a wonderful rest of your day. Now let's hear that funky outro music. Thank you.